Welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is the founder of Mission USA, Glenn Fitzgerald. I'm back. Also joining us, the founder of Mission USA, the director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. Wow. Consistently here. <laughs> the grades were poor, but the attendance was perfect. That's <laughs> the story of some of our academic careers. Joining us all the way from Mercury, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Media Church, Lee Younger. Nobody's excited whenever I'm back. Well, uh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Glenn really likes the, the uh, being under protest when Lee's not here. Right. But he's not so much of the celebration when he returns. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not as much fun. Sure. I love being under protest. That's protest great. Fun. <laughs> yeah. Being, being glad that people are back is like, yeah. <laughs> What's yeah, in it for you? Yeah, that's, you know. Uh, well, that makes a certain amount of sense. Well, we do have a lot of, uh, a lot of good questions going on here today, but we do want to kick off with a mention of a, uh, a message that came into the Uncle Glenn Tumblr. We want to, uh, to give a shout-out to uh, the nice person who sent in the message that said, Uncle Glenn, you'll be so proud. I went to a missions conference this weekend and joined the speed dating they were trying for the first time. I almost chickened out, but I just kept remembering you, Matt, Jed, and Lee on the Say That podcast and how it, you would definitely cheer me on. I was confident. I was myself. I just took it lightly, and I met a really uh, me and a really cool guy, Matt, and I'm excited to get to know him. And I know he is excited too. So, success, gentlemen. Woot! Woot! Nicely done. Very proud. We are very proud. That is a, a good and noble thing that I don't think even we could turn into something awful. On that basis, I declare an emergency! <laughs> is it an awful emergency? Yes. Okay. I fear I may have walked into this one, dear listener. Uh, now, this is the thing is... Um, uh, the speed dating is a thing that's coming on. Sure. You know, what people don't know, uh, you know, when we say speed dating, they might think, well, is that like you get in a car and you go really fast? Yes, it is. Sure. Uh, well, or it's it, trying to complete a date for time. That, How quickly can you eat this dinner yeah. and then shovel down this yogurt and then <laughs> walk around this park? Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just a, it's, it's a, a, you, you do laps and this sure. whole thing. Well, uh, well, no. What happens with speed dating is you. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of ladies and there's a lot of dudes, and then they get together and they rotate around. You meet everybody. You meet lots of cool people, uh, and you make contacts. and And maybe you, you know, kind of click with somebody, and mm. that's good. Uh, but the idea is you, you, you talk to a new person. I, I think they do like two minutes. I don't know what the time yeah. frame is on that. But you sure. depends you, if you're imperial or metric. Right, exactly right. <laughs> so, uh, and this did come in uh, from another country, so they it, it may be. So sure, absolutely. Never know. But here's what happens: is um, you know the the speed dating is like the hip thing, yes, where you meet somebody like real fast. But I think we haven't given enough of a chance for what I like to call glacial dating. Ah. Okay, okay. so you you see the market going one way and you want to you want to zag. That's right. Because here's first of all, here's here's what it is. It goes really slow. Yes. And you're very cold towards one another. Sure, yes, absolutely. So it's like a glacier. Yes. It's just very slowly oozing along, but you can't see it cuz it's moving so slow. Sure. You got to come back like 10 years and it, it's moved a couple of inches. That's like a glacier, right? 
So let's date exactly like that. Okay. Okay. I feel this may be a strategy that has been tried in many in uh, many corners of Christian culture. Well, that's the thing is that's that's exactly what they are doing, but not with a hip tagline. Oh, not that's what they've been missing. No, it's all about the branding. It's a we because this is what it is. You could do a dating thing like what we do on this show. What we when we talk about dating, here's what we say. Don't do it the way you want to do it, right. because your way of doing it is broken and doesn't make any sense, and you're miserable. Yes. So don't do it that way. Okay. Do it a way that works. Right? Ah. But here's the here's the thing. There's no money to be made from that. Sure. The wow. racket that we got to get in on is whichever way you want to do dating, that's the best way to Absolutely. do it. Absolutely. So you want to be like the first date is like you you maintain eye contact for like three seconds. Sure. Furtive glances from across the room, not even at the same table. It's like you look at each other, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, then you look away. Right, yes. Because it's too much. Sure. Because we're going too fast. It's like staring sure. into the sun. No. Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly right. Now, just for clarity's sake, are you saying that being near each other and doing the three seconds of furtive eye contact yeah. counts as the first date? Yeah. Or go on the first date, but only allow three seconds of eye contact? Well, that, well the, that's a good question. No, I, I, Like, we're going to get a milkshake, but we're yeah. going to sit in separate booths. Yes. And we yeah. have to time it exactly, and yes. then we'll leave one after the other. That's yeah, exactly right. right. Okay. Here's, the thing, here's the thing, gentlemen, is I think that for what... What the what the young Christian kids want out there is they want the feeling of being pursued, but right not don't but don't actually lead me yet. So right. we just need to have kind of a kind of a general. Um, I think that you maybe under certain circumstances might be interested in me if such and such were to happen, and maybe six months to a year from now. We'll figure something out in regards to that in some way. Right. So almost like you'd want to hire a lawyer to draw this up. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. The party of the first part agrees to, you know, in the, you know, kind of in the event of the unlikely, uh, you know, and just kind of play sure. that out. Sure. Still not as creepy as a purity pledge. Right. Sure. Totally. So I think this, I think this is the thing is, is, is glacial dating. Yeah. I like that. I like you know, that. It's like dating that you have to, t- have to, Observed through a time lapse camera. Well, here's the here's the thing on this, Glenn, is that like a glacier, ninety percent of your feelings are invisible. Sure. Yes. Right. On, yeah, only ten percent right. of it is actually seen. The rest of it is underwater. So that's that's one thing we want to make sure is that no actual feelings are ever expressed in a way that might kick anything off. That's right. Also, like a glacier, there is uh, noticeably much less Christian dating than there was thirty years ago. Right. Yes, that's right. Absolutely. This analogy holds up in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Yeah, but I think it's the kind of thing where, like, you, you could have like a conference because that's what you got to do. That's conference. that's where the loot comes in. Yeah, right totally. There. You have yourself a passion, a, but not too much conference. That, that's a, you know, yeah, easy with the passion <laughs> conference. Yeah, it's good. That's good. Uh, but what we're going to do is we're going to put them on like a thirty-year plan. Sure. Yeah. So like a mortgage. Nice. Yeah, and. At the end of thirty years, you can go steady. It's like a dating mortgage, <laughs> but yeah, yeah that really keeps right. the income coming in too. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, that's You're building the equity in this relationship. That, that's right. You know, you, you know, each each year you you meet for like uh, you know fifteen minutes. 
with supervision, of sure, course. absolutely, sure. And, in a public space, and then you go apart from one another and, and meditate on it for the next year. That's what that's what the really good dating is all about. I think we've really got something here, fellas. I think it's great. I think for you know for rent for that sweet sweet cash, I think this uh, this affords us a couple of spinoff opportunities to okay. create an entire ecosystem. You know, you got to create the whole line. You can't just have the conference. You got to have the book, the conference, the worship CD. You know, the 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 workbook and all that. But I think we can even spend some things out of this. Of you know, uh, you know, you'd have your own glacial dating love songs. Right. I want to hold your hand, possibly at some indeterminate point in the future. <laughs> right, right. Right. Yes. Yes. You got your uh, your glacial dating books. Yeah. It shouldn't matter if he's that into you. Jesus should be enough. Yes. Right. That's yes. Right. Just really passive aggressive everything. I think I we can inject this into a lot of stuff. Well, you know, because part of what we're doing here is what you call brainstorming. Sure. Yes. Because it's like you have a storm in your brain. It's very much like that. Well, it, but a good storm. Sure, yeah, absolutely. That's what we're trying to have here. Well, what, and then sometimes something sparks an idea and you have a brainstorm. Okay, sure. Well, Lee was talking about that everybody wants the other one to pursue him, right? Right, yes. Now, here's what I know is all these people have phones. Yes. But they don't use the phone. Right. On the phone at all, yes, because they that they they are emotionally disturbed by hearing a disembodied voice, and no one can blame them if we're going to be clear. Sure, it's like witchcraft, basically. Is my friend trapped in that phone? Will they ever get out? Who knows? <laughs> this is a, this is the thing. But they like to text with each other. Sure, sure. So could we not have a service where you have some form of bot? Yes, that's, that's not a that's like a robot. Oh. oh. But it's not a. You saved a lot of time by putting it that way. It's not exactly, but it's not like one of those that where they walk around and like from the Jetsons, right? It's a. It's just. It's a. It's a bot inside the computer. Ah, inside the computer. It's a computer robot. Okay. Okay. But we get a bot that will date all these people by text. Wow. Sure. And pursues them and stuff. Yeah. And they yeah. don't do any work. Sure. Yeah, the, the bot does all the work Every for you. Every morning, the bot sends a thoughtful verse of the day to encourage you in your walk. Right. You know, the bot takes prayer requests and right. checks in on things. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, this is great. The bot leaves a lot of jealousy-inducing comments on your Instagram pictures. <laughs> that's, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, think this that, is good. I think we're. I mean, we're going to make a pile of money doing that. I think the Trent Bot Five Thousand is going to make a lot of money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm almost wondering if we couldn't generalize this into Pastor Bot. Oh. Ah. I mean, I think a lot of the things people want out of a pastor in the 21st century, a bot could do. Sure. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's basically as we talked about recently, sort of a Bible lecture with like a C.S. Lewis quote. Sure. Yeah. And like a you know some form of. Uh, adorable but ultimately impenetrable analogy that yes, we're making you yes know? you could program like, sorry it could be like uh auto generating cliches you know like yeah. you, <laughs> you put that out a is problem good all the time it spits out a christian cliche <laughs> and and a worship song yeah that'd be perfect dude between worship bot pastor bot and trent bot we got you covered man dude that's all the bots right there yeah sure. y- you know you, you can say, well, let's 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 test it out. Okay. Okay. I'll be the person having a problem. Okay. And and then and then we'll see what happens. Okay. okay. And this is Pastor Bot, not Past- Trent Bot. Yeah, this is Pastor Bot. Yeah, we're, we're okay. not going to role play Trent Bot, even if we only go so far. Okay. Okay. So here here's what it is. Uh, 
I lost my job and don't have health insurance and uh, I got some health issues. So I'm feeling pretty low right now. Buffering, buffering, buffering. God is good. Wow. Um, okay. We we really didn't spend Alexa level monies on making the voice seem reassuring. <laughs> right, right. All oh, I think- the time. God is good. God is good. I think- all the time. <laughs> that's, that's creepily on. Yeah, that's really I good. think you really, uh, well, we combine this with, a, with an idea we had in the previous uh, emergency from our last episode where we're talking about, you know, spitting out those cliches, as, right. as, as Lee put it. I love it. I think it is the next evolution of the Bible fact cure. Exactly right. Yeah. We just load down PastorBot with a couple dozen Bible facts, a couple dozen famous quotes. Yes. Maybe a couple hundred. Here's someone who had a really good attitude when they were in this situation. Your attitude kind of sucks. <laughs> right. Because that's the right. ratio. It's like, yeah, sure. this thing, but here's like a couple hundred people who did this good. And yeah. why don't you go home and think about how you kind of suck? Right. And uh, yeah, but then you can also just uh, swipe your card right there on PastorBot. That's Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. As Charles Purgeon said, <laughs> suck it up. <laughs> I mean, They're probably gonna, he said that at some point. At some point, he said those words, maybe not in that order, but he, he said those words. Sure. So, Almost certainly. You know, that you, you're not going to go home and look it up. You know, <laughs> no, you're the, not going to call anybody media. on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But who, who, who are you going to complain to? It's yeah. a bot. You can't even find him. Well, He's inside I'm, the computer. Yeah, that's how absolutely. this works, man. Well, I'll tell you how we're how we're going to really sell this. How it's going to really have anything. We'll close it on this. Pastor Bot provides his own laser show. Ooh, oh, perfect. Yeah, yeah. He's shooting off the laser beams, and yeah. And come with the question, Bible verse, totally unrelated fact I read from a book, quote from a guy that pretty strongly implies you're awful and I'm cool. Right. Lasers. <laughs> Pastor Bot five thousand. Yeah. 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 Well, I think I think we've covered dating. We've covered the pastorate, uh, the, 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 all of the pastorate. We've done it. <laughs> yep. We're just, we're just gathered here today. Just to praise the excellence of your glory. Oh, so just, you're, you're, you're doing the, 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 the announcement guy bot. Just to magnify your name. Where did Jed's goatee come from? <laughs> and the excellence of my tight t-shirt and your glory of your praise. Wow. Forever. Wow. Well, so yeah, I think we've solved it. Absolutely. We don't. We don't need to be human. We can just be bots. Uh, but on that basis, I declare a very bot-tastic emergency off. Emergency off. <laughs> <laughs> this is a there's a, there's a weird movie to be here, be made here that's half Terminator and half Left Behind. But I just don't have a. <laughs> I just don't know where we get the budget. So obviously, we're going to need a past some pastor bot. Um, you know, prototypes. Right. Ready to go through the R and D phase. And um, I've seen science fiction movies. They're going to get loose. Things are going to get destroyed. Sure. Uh, there's going to be chaos and mayhem. So uh, we're going to need to reinforce the underground bunker here to say that world headquarters. Absolutely. And uh, we're going to need to do that by your bridge box donations. Ooh. That's how we fund the underground bunker for now. For now, it's how we fund our part-time uh, staff people, our deacons who go out and do wonderful things. Because we, you couldn't have a deacon bot. No. No machine could do that much ministry. No way. It just can't be done. So we need actual flesh and blood deacons who are paid for entirely by our Bridgebox supporters. And if you sign up for $8 a month, missionusa.com slash Bridgebox, you get great stuff yourself, sermons, songs, Bible studies, etc. We are in the month of February. Our topic this month is how do I let go of shame? Lots of great stuff, lots of great songs, 
one of which we'll uh, we'll play for here at the end here. And so we will uh, missionusa.com slash bridgebox. Check that out. We're going to move on to our first question here. comes in anonymously. It says, one of my pastors said I was too much into science. I always believed in Jesus since I was little, and I believe in the Holy Spirit, but I've always been into thought. God created all this stuff. I don't see anything wrong with wanting to understand it. How is my thinking here? And Glenn, why don't you start us off? Well, yeah, you know how there's not a Christian version of math? Yeah. It's the same thing with science. Ah. That's that's how that works. Uh, but I think there's a, you know, I for the past uh, couple of uh, centuries here, we've had sort of an ongoing battle between science and religion. And I think we can safely declare it's pretty absurd. Yeah. yeah. Most, mostly waged by people who understand neither. That's exactly right. Uh, for, I mean, I, th- I think there's a secret glee that people feel off of the idea of being embattled. Yeah. So they want to play that kind of stuff out. But um, uh, y- y- if, you're, if you're a Christian person who's attacking science, we, we really need you to take a knee and get some help yeah. and, and get, get some perspective on that stuff. Uh, but the same is true for the other side. I mean, uh, science makes a perfectly lousy religion. Yes. Uh, it's it's a lousy. In fact, the, the the worst thing you can say as a scientist about science is we've got all the answers. I mean, that's yeah. uh, that's what makes science awesome is that it's always discovering something new and it's always uh, uh, revealing something. And it, and it's the other thing about science that's awesome is it's taking stuff where. We thought we knew mm-hmm. how this worked, but then we realize there's a whole other dimension to mm-hmm. it that expands our understanding and, and gives us a deeper sense of the complexity of what's going on in the world. And that's awesome. That's yep. amazing. So the, the the beauty of it is saying that we don't have all the answers in science right. and that it's about exploring and asking those questions. And that ought to take us full circle to our walk with the Lord, where we gain wisdom by exploring things with God. Uh, that that we don't gain wisdom by being unquestioning, and, mm-hmm. and I think that's a big myth that a lot of Christians operate under. Is well, I've I've just he said it, and I believe it, and that settles it. Well, <laughs> uh, you know, okay, you, you just make me tired all over when you talk yeah. like that. First of all, second of all, uh, here's the thing: is if you're in a situation where you God's telling you to do something that you don't want to do, which is a very common thing for me to deal with. The best thing that I can do is to say, well, why? You know, that seems odd. That seems yeah. crazy. That doesn't feel... And, and do you mean it a different way than I'm thinking you mean it? Uh, does it apply in this situation? Because it seems like all bets would be off in this kind of situation. Is it? And so I'm exploring this now. And even if... I find out I'm totally wrong and I totally have to obey on something I totally don't want to do. I still have wrestled with it to the point where I realize I don't have a point. And that's yeah. a beautiful thing. But all that is through engaging with it and investigating with it. So the idea of I don't like you investigating, don't have any investigative, curious thoughts, uh, that's not a recipe for good Christianity at all. Yes. And if the person telling you that is someone who, uh, wants to have lots of deep thoughts at you, that's something to consider as well. Yeah. And Jed, I'd love to get you here. I think uh, Glenn gave us some really, really 
good place to start with that. And there's there's the science aspect of this, right. which is important, and is certainly part of the question. There's another aspect of this that has less to do with science and more is just science is sliding into the slot, I think, in this question, which is, you like it, not Jesus thing. Yep. What's wrong with you? Yep. And uh, that's equally crazy and probably needs to be addressed as well, right? You're absolutely right. I think if we're going to be fair, if someone says, you know, you, you're into that science and we don't much care for that, that's coming from one of two places. The first is you're bound to ask me questions I won't have good answers for, yep. and, and I don't want that. Um, I don't want to have a discussion about the fact that the Earth is almost certainly more than 6,000 years old. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I went to that ARC theme park in Kentucky. I got it figured out. Exactly right. That, that just makes me uncomfortable. So if you could not do things that will lead to you asking me tough questions, that would be great. And here's the thing. That's bad and that's wrong and that's, that's no good. But it, it, it makes sense that someone would feel that way. Again, not to excuse it in any way, but you can, you can track the logic of, golly gee, could you just not ask me questions I don't really want to think about. But the other thing that goes on, which I think may be the more common thing and in, in some ways is perhaps a more poisonous thing, is in a lot of Christian culture, there is a sense of we feel threatened by you being excited about anything that isn't religious. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Um, what we're excited about is church stuff, and that's what we want you to be excited about. And if you have excitement, if you have passion about stuff that isn't church stuff, we feel threatened by that. What are you, sitting there enjoying college basketball? Blasphemy. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So to that point, you know, I mean— um, I've been into music for a long time and, you know, particularly like when I was, you know, 10 or 11 and I, I you know, kind of started to discover kind of heavier kinds of music. I was really into it and really passionate about it. And I've had people tell me similar things about me and music. You know, people say, you're just too into music. It's, music's an idol in your life. You just, you just love music more than you love God. Well, um, hold, hold up there. Uh, uh, first of all, who the heck are you? Uh, right. uh, Second, no one asked you. Uh, third, that's just that's just not true. One of the things that we really super need to remind ourselves of is God is not an insecure middle schooler who is afraid that any attention given to anyone other than him is somehow an affront. Right. Um, God is not insecure. In, in fact, here's the thing. For me, God made me to be a person who loves music, and he made me that way because right. he has stuff for me to do with music. It it would not work well if I needed to create music, and, you know, I just I kind of hate music. I just, just not really into it. I just, yeah. you could see where there would be a problem here. Similarly, I think it's worth asking, what is, is it possible that God is the one who gave you your love of That's science? That's right. That God gave yeah. you a mind that craves understanding, that wants to ponder the nature of the physical world and how it all works and what it all does. Because, as it turns out, we really desperately need scientists who love the Lord. Yeah, right. I mean, like, we really, really need that. We need people in every profession who love the Lord. We really, really need scientists who love the Lord. Um, one way to read the history, certainly of the 20th century, is science being used for good and science being used for not so much good. Right. Uh, we need people who love Jesus and who are following him, who who uh, understand the physical sciences and how all that works and are able to bring that to bear for the benefit of humanity. Don't let somebody rain on your parade. Don't, don't let somebody try and make you hide your own light under a bushel basket. If God's made you the kind of person that has a passion for something, recognize you glorify him when you pursue that passion. Um, it has been said that the glory of God is a man fully alive, and I, and I believe that. I think that's true. 
pursue the things you're passionate about, figure out how to use that to to bless others and, and honor the Lord. There's nothing better. There's nothing more righteous than that. That's absolutely right. And uh, Lee, I'd love to, to get you to close out here. There's an underlying kind of idea here that both Glenn and Jed have touched on. I'd love to get you to kind of bring it to the front here, which is this idea that if you are having thoughts that are more thinky than feely, that is inherently kind of, Jesus doesn't like that. Jesus wants you. To, Jesus wants to kind of skip your frontal lobe altogether and really right. get you right in the feels in all things. And it it sounds right in a if you don't. It's one of those things that's going to say that sounds perfectly reasonable if you don't think about it at all. Right. And particularly in the context of the Bible, just outright refutes that. Right. Absolutely. I mean, it was Jesus Himself in Luke chapter ten who uh, said, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength." And and that's that is a this is the thing is that God has made us complex beings, and it, it is important that that we love the Lord with with our feelings, with our emotions. But he also included our mind when he when he quoted that old sweeping just kind of statement about what it means to really know and love God. It's all of you, everything that 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 God made you to be. Like when when Jed is talking about, you know, God made me to be a person who's passionate about music. Well, he made other people passionate about other things. And for them to be themselves, they need to give themselves to those curiosities, to those pursuits, to those... To, I love that Glenn used the word exploration. All of that stuff is from God. God is creative, and He has made us creative. He's made us problem solvers. He's made us people who uh, who look at situations and think about the best and most efficient and the coolest way to do something. He's put all of these things inside us. As you say, the only way that somebody could think that 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 thinking and and science or engineering or problem solving that any of these things are bad or somehow against the lord is just somebody who's who is completely threatened by everyone else who might be smarter than them mm. that's the only thing that's going on is there's some there's there's some place of power or there's some authority or there's some uh, pecking order that they think you're going to pass me in. This is a this is a comparison competitive kind of thing and it's people yeah. that want to hold other people down. But the truth is that we have always needed in the kingdom of God as Jed's saying, we need great doctors, we need great dentists, we need great mechanics, we need great painters, we need great singers, and we need great thinkers. People like Isaac Newton and George Washington Carver. I mean, there are amazing folks who have had unbelievable minds, Blaise Pascal, who have loved Jesus. And we need folks like that. And and Jesus said it himself, not only love the Lord with your heart, but love him with your mind. Think about stuff. I mean, it's funny because if that conversation was had in a church building, it took somebody with an understanding of all, lots of science to make that building possible. There's all kinds of electricity and chemistry and pressure balances and and all kinds of angles and all kinds of you know structural stuff that all comes from from some brilliant person putting their heads together and coming up with a way for us to have this building to worship the Lord in in the first place and then all the electricity that goes through their instruments and the computers and the slide projectors everything that happens we need thinking for all of this stuff but not only that but solving the problems that people are going through we need people who love the Lord with their with their mind 
Yeah, it's absolutely right. I, I would, these guys all gave you a lot of great stuff on that. I would close out by kind of linking back something uh, Glenn opened us up with, which is this idea of people trying to create kind of a, a false binary where one doesn't exist that, you know, well, if you, if you were trying to put science in the spot of God, and I suppose there are some people who do that. They're not, there aren't nearly as many of them as uh, Christians think there are. Right. Like, you know, sure, there was Christopher Hitchens, and he was, you know, he was the way he was, but uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, this idea that we, we understand how subatomic particles work. Where's your God now? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I just doesn't really hold up. Yeah. Um, if you look back even through kind of history, if you look at, as kind of as Lee's talking about, you know, uh, great scientists of the Christian era, a lot of that is you can see in their writings is just uh, put forward by if I if God made all this stuff and I think God is super neat, why wouldn't I want to understand all the cool stuff? Right. Like look at you know, if you go through the adventure or Pascal, it's, it's like, well, okay, the the thing I the being I love I'm supposed to love the most in the world made all this amazing stuff. I'm supposed to just not care about that? <laughs> yeah. That seems weird. So I got, who cares how a bird flies? He makes it fly. That's all I need to know. Well, yeah, but wouldn't it be like really interesting and rewarding? And you could learn something if you got into that. Like there's whole, there's whole analogies in the Bible about how it's like this and it gets deeper. So there's a whole thing. So there's a certain amount of trying to create these, these false dichotomies that only work on the surface. And on some level, I always get the sense that the people who are trying to create them know they only work on the surface, which takes us back to. Glenn's point about anybody who's really bummed out by you having a questioning nature, that's yeah. a pretty big red flag because, you know, Jesus clearly says in the Bible that anybody who wants to inherit the kingdom has to come to him like a little child. Here's the thing about little children. They ask questions about everything. Lots of them. They ask questions you don't know the answer to. They ask questions you never thought to think about. Um, that's lauded. That's, that's, that's a positive thing to come like a child in that way. And uh, that's, that's a good thing and something that we would never uh, think of calling uh, wanting to get rid of in you and you shouldn't either. Okay, we're going to move on to our next question here. It comes in and it says, what are some things that you know now that you wish you knew when you first started out in ministry? What are some of the questions or advice you would ask your pastors, mentors, leaders in order to equip yourself better? This is an awesome question from our friend Colton and Jed. Why don't you start us off? The first thing that comes to mind to me, and there's kind of two aspects to it, is to not be in a hurry. Mm. I think a lot of the problems people get into in ministry are a result of being in a hurry. And I think there's, again, kind of two key points to that. The first is, if you're dealing with a person with real problems, which is everyone, right? that's all we've got. Problems took a long time to develop, which means they're not going to get fixed overnight. That's just how big problems work. We can start chipping away at them right now. Right. And we yeah. should, and that's great. But nothing that's super duper busted gets fixed overnight. Yeah. It just it just doesn't work that way. Jed, what if I just declare that I'm gonna decide to fix it? That does not work at all. If I decide it really hard? Nope. Oh. Yeah, no. Well, here's and here's the the beautiful thing is in a sense you actually wouldn't want a quick fix. I mean, you yep. think you would. Yep. But the thing about a quick fix is it can be undone really quickly. And then we're you know, we're back to square one or worse than we started, you know. We we're always looking at, at something that took a long time to get as busted as it is. 
will take a long time to get unbusted, but there will be a lot of growth and that occurs in that unbusting process. Yeah. Uh, so it will end up being a thing. But again, if we're in a hurry, we will uh, we will try and find quick fixes. We will try to not put in the work and the hours, and we'll wind up with something that is at best, kind of an unstable, thrown-together solution that can't really stand the test of time. So don't be in a hurry. The second side of that idea of don't be in a hurry is to recognize that a phrase I learned from Glenn is ministry is an old man's game. Here's what that means. Ministry is a craft, and a craft is something where the more you do of it, the better you get at it. You can't become good at it by reading a book. You can only become good at it by doing it. Given that, There is no one who is young and good at ministry. (laughs) I want to repeat that because that's super important. Amen. There is no one who is young and good at ministry. Now, to be clear, that doesn't mean that everyone who's old is good at ministry, because that's not true at all. The people who are good at ministry are people who were doing it when they were young and were bad at it and kept doing it for a very (laughs) long time and slowly, slowly, slowly got better. And now they're old. Absolutely right, and just to uh, to put a, a finer point on that is it's also not saying that no one is young can't do effective ministry. Exactly right. But if you stay at it, keep learning, keep growing, you, no matter how good you are when you're you know twenty, you will look back on that when you're thirty and go, oh god, yep, what was I doing? Yep. And it's not that what you're doing right. when you're twenty was bad. Yep. It's that the gap of what you learn every successive year doing that is so much. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You can do. Uh, as you put it, Matt, and that's a good point, effective ministry at any age. You you absolutely can, but you will have more effectiveness if you recognize, I don't know what I'm doing, yes. which means I need to constantly be asking for help. I need to constantly be asking for input from people who know more than I do, because again, ministry is an old person's game. The only way to get to a place where you have a mastery of this is to do it for a super long time and embrace, I will make mistakes. I'm yeah. going to overcook it with this guy. I'm going to undercook it with the next guy. I'm going to swing back and forth between those extremes a dozen times. I will finally begin to recognize, okay, now is the time to say something to this person. I need to, you know, I waited too long before. I jumped the gun last time. Now is the right time. But this is the key thing. This is, this is the, the important part. We know theologically that the Holy Spirit is the one who does the work of changing people and transforming people and, and, and drawing people uh, to the Lord. You know, we are the hands and feet of Christ in that process, but the Holy Spirit is the one who's doing the work. That should allow us to take a bit of the pressure off. I think what happens for a lot of people is they get in a hurry, and again, don't be in a hurry. They get in a hurry and they feel like it's up to me to make this go. It's up to me to get this person to change. It's up to me to, to make this right. You don't have that power, and you're not supposed to have that power. Getting good at ministry has a lot to do with learning how to stack the deck, a lot to, learn, a lot to do with learning how to set a context, a lot to do with building the right kind of a relationship so that all of this can work better. But none of it is about getting to the point where you can make people change. You don't have that power today. You won't ever have that power. That's that's the Holy Spirit's job. So the key thing is to relax, to not be in a hurry, and to take the one next growth step regarding ministry that's in front of you. Absolutely right. That's all really fantastic, fantastic stuff. And Lee, what would you have to say on this? Yeah, absolutely. I, there's there are so many things that we could say on this, and and I, I've just got a, a, a few thoughts. One of them is that. 
if I was going to encourage you at the beginning of a ministry career to to really pray about and look for and move towards something really hard, it would be to make sure that you have a good team. Make sure that yeah. you have some people who uh, who care about you, who understand what it is you're trying to do, and who are in it with you. And the reason for that is this. No one else in Christendom has any idea what you're doing. And basically, no one will encourage you. Um, almost nobody knows how to encourage you because they don't know what your job is. They don't know what it's supposed to look like. They they don't know how to tell you that you're doing a good job. Even people that that, you know, like you and stuff like that, they don't really know what's up. And so you need a team of people who are in what you're doing, who know what it feels like to be in that ministry, who can keep you encouraged, who can pray for you and walk with you alongside you. You need that team um, because nobody else gets it and nobody un- else knows what your life is like. Um, here's another thing is, um, and, and, and as soon as I say it, um, <laughs> if I was you, um, and when I was you, I probably wouldn't have listened to you or I probably wouldn't have listened to this. And in fact, I didn't, but don't give unsolicited advice. Um, no one will listen to you and, um, they won't change as a result of you jumping up into their face. Um, you have to take your time to, to a point that Jeb was making before almost everything in ministry goes way slower than you would like it to go and that you would hope things go. And you need to take your time, especially in the relationships that you're building and the people that you're reaching out to take your time for people to come to you and ask for your help. Um, when you see things falling apart and you decide I'm gonna climb up into somebody's face and tell them the way this thing needs to be. It's not going to work. Um, the the uh, the last thing that I would tell you uh, just off the top is that most folks, when they're starting out in ministry, especially if they're in a place where they're going to be giving talks or anything like or leading lessons or something like that, they work really, really, really hard on their content, on what they're going to be saying or what they're going to be sharing. But what I would encourage you to do is to work harder on the way that you treat people. Um. People will not remember the words of your sermons or the 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 you know the amazing little thoughts that you had in your Bible study lessons or whatever. That's not the thing that they're going to remember. Ten years down the road from now, fifteen years down the road from now, it's going to be the way that you listened to them, the way that you served them, the way that you took care of them. That's going to give all of those words power, and that's going to make all of that. It's going to make the important part stick. But the main thing is. If you're going to major on anything as you're dealing with folks, make it be the way that you serve them, the way that you listen to them, the way that you take care of them, instead of putting all of the emphasis and all the time and everything into just the content and making sure you say the cool thing in the right way that's really going to unlock the deal and change everybody's life. It's the way that you it's the way that you serve. It's the way that you listen. It's the way that you take time that really makes a long-term impact on people. That's all really great stuff. And Glenn, let me get you to close out here because I think you have a pretty unique perspective on this doing as you do, having done a lot of ministry, having started quite young in that, and also yeah. now you do a lot of training with folks. So what would you say to this? Well, I think in my case, I, I had the benefit of a lot of very good training, good mentoring from a very young age. 
and so uh, there there weren't a lot of things that were left out, but it's funny those a few of those little things that don't quite get touched on end up being a long term thing that 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 you struggle to work out. One of the biggest things really is the difference between uh, 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 having a mission field that's predominantly white and middle class and a mission field that's anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for a lot of people in ministry, you're, you, you may come from a predominantly white church, may have grown up in that, and then you do either missions or you do some youth ministry or whatever, where you're, you're dealing with more than one different kind of cultural background. Or the or the opposite, you know, maybe you you grew up in in a African American or a Latino church, or even an Asian American church, and then you're going to uh, working with white kids in a in in a Sunday school class, or uh, uh, you know, uh, any kind of ministry in any kind of a church. And uh, I, no one really talked about that, and and part of the reason why is a lot of my mentors uh, in in prison ministry that I started out in were were people of color. They weren't they weren't white. So they didn't have that experience, and they couldn't give me a compare and contrast. They would, they would make a lot of sort of side comments, but I was also working with people who were African American and Latino, so that just became the new normal for me. And I gr- kind of grew in that, and then I would go back to the kind of uh, predominantly white, predominantly middle class kind of uh, church that I grew up in, and the contrast was so stark it. Even to this day, it's very hard to shift the mental gear from one to the other because they are so different. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. There's a there's a there's a ton of overlap, and and it's all in the spiritual stuff that we believe in common, and that's the important stuff. I'm just talking about cultural stuff. Mm-hmm. Those little cultural differences are, are are turn out to be a big difference in the way we express our Christianity. Predominantly white, predominantly middle class suburban churches are competitive in a way that's out of control, kind of as, as Lee was hinting at earlier. Um, there, so off of that, there's not a lot of honesty, authenticity, uh, confession, uh, vulnerability is, is low in those kind of environments. Uh, there's, there's, I, I can tell you this. I, we've had, of course, white volunteers, uh, people who've helped us over the years, uh, supporters, all of that. that has sure, been some a, of your best friends are white. <laughs> you know, my, my parents are white, believe it or not. Uh, but these things are, and, and they've been a huge contribution to this ministry, and you can't discount that. But here's another fact. If I never had a white person be uh, 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 attend our bridge service, if that just never happened, the number of problems would go almost to zero. Yeah, that's true. That's just a hard thing to get your mind around, but... When I have a problem, it's more likely to be a white person than anybody else. It's just, you know, a mentality, I think, of um, this is church, I get to do whatever I want. Well, not to interrupt at all, but just to jump Go in. Like an example what we're talking about is in almost every culture outside of white suburban culture, respect is an understood thing. There's a clear yeah. concept of what respect is, how to show it, what it means to be respectful to a man of God or a woman of God and in God's house. Yeah. The word respect obviously exists in white suburban context, but a cultural understanding of it is very rare. Yeah. There's a very, very – if there's any understanding of respect as a cultural idea, it's very low and poorly put together. So what that winds up with is a lot of wildly disrespectful behavior that isn't trying to be disrespectful but still lands there all the same. Yeah, it's, it's very good manners. 
but you can be sort of passively, aggressively disrespectful within those manners. Yes. In a way that you would get you beat up if you were doing that on on in on the mission field that I'm working with during the day. So this is a, it's a very big difference, and I think I struggle to get a hold of that. In some ways, still do. Um, the other thing uh, uh, I was told a lot about one on ones are super important. You got to do as many one on ones as as you can, and by one on one we mean face to face, human being to human being, sitting down across from somebody at a at a coffee shop and just letting them talk about their problems. That was great, but there wasn't a lot of specific instruction behind that about the importance of listening, the importance of earning the right to be heard, kind of as Leah was was alluding to earlier. That idea of building relationships and all that. There was, it was sort of laced in there, but it was it was a lot of watching someone who is epically good at one-on-ones and then they would say, "Okay, just do that." And it's, well, you know, I I need a little more on that. So I think it, part of your question there is how can I ask uh, leaders to help equip? And that's part of it is ask them, uh, you know, give me a hint, give me an idea. How do I, uh, you know, specifically apply some of these things that you're saying? And finally, just very quickly, uh, time management and rest. Uh, mm-hmm. Not just when do I rest, how much do I rest, but what do I do during that time? How, how do I structure that? How do I make the most? out of getting those rests and those retreat times that I need. So I, I would say those are the three big things. That's all really, really good stuff. Um, the co- only a quick couple things I would add to that. As a person who's been doing this the least time, has been uh, mentored by the three people you hear on this, um, is there's a, a couple of these things are just dovetailing what these guys are saying. And one of the big ones is um, always have something you are working on in your own walk, yeah. in your own life, and that can be ministry stuff. The, the idea, and Glenn... Uh, talks about this a lot when he talks training is that um, your strengths are your strengths. So you don't really need to work on those. You just put right. those in your pocket. Those are your strengths. Yeah. You don't need to develop your strengths and think about your strengths and meditate on your gifts and all that crap. You need to focus on your weaknesses because yeah. right? those are the things that are going to be bad. Yeah. If you're really good up front and not so, and a little clumsy one-on-one, you need to, if you're fine up front, you can put that in neutral and you can uh, shift to, Figuring out the one-on-one stuff. If it's the other way around, you can flip it the other way around. That doesn't mean to stop doing one or the other. That just means to prioritize your growth towards getting plugging those holes. Because as we're talking about, you know, it's an old person's game. You want to do this for a long time, and that doesn't just mean we want to be clear. That doesn't just mean vocational ministry. That's if you want to be part of a church, if you want to work with kids, or whatever you want to do. Everyone's called to have some kind of ministry and service. And the thing that's going to take you out on that is not your your strength all of a sudden collapsing. It is one of these weaknesses that most often you just kind of don't want to think about or look at. And that's what's really going to to limit you going forward. The other thing I would say, and these guys all kind of spoke on this idea of, you know, I think when a lot of people get into starting to serve and starting to ministry the first time, there's this idea of, I got, to, I have to find the good Christian person to become and become them. Mm. And that's, that's those cultural touchstones and those books. Right. And if I, Pastors really into civil war history. I got to learn about civil war history because that's where you learn all the cool stuff. That's not that's not a good way to go. It cannot work as well as being into the stuff you're into and digging that. And some of that will just be for fun, is what I was talking about. But you know, if you like, if you're if you're just a super baseball nerd, maybe you're going to meet that kid at the lunchroom right. who's you know got the scorebook and run with that. Don't. Right. If you're and if you're super into D and D, don't try to learn baseball because other dudes doing baseball stuff. If you're into, you know, there's you'll be surprised as you go about your life if you 
really invest in stuff and just do stuff. And that's part of your off time is going to talk about how much those things can seep into you learning something mm-hmm. that you can apply to it that can, and uh, represent around this table. Is that having been music and that having been comic books and that having been stand up comedy and uh, British dramas and all this stuff you'll, you'll, and there's just something you'll say, Oh, that's like that. And you'll be on that thinking path. That's yeah. not about starting out saying, okay, I'm going to r- pull all the ministry marrow I can out of this book. <laughs> it's saying, I like this book. There's something about it I like. There's something about this that connects to me that's going to help me connect to the people I'm ministering to. And if you go with that that mindset, it's a lot healthier and it helps tie a lot of things together, I find. All right, that was great. So we're going to move on to our final question here. This came in to our email address, and it says, I recently came into a pretty significant amount of money. I don't think about money a lot because I've never really had enough to worry about or, or to think about what I'd do if I had extra. Now I'm suddenly in this position where I could give it all away and change some lives. I could actually save for my future expenses. I could further my education in a way I've never thought I could do. There's all these little things I've kind of thought of doing but never had the money to do so. And it was a, not having the money was a good excuse not to do it. This all stresses me out, and I have the temptation to either pretend it never happened or put it away to open up in 10 years or do something really stupid, like put half of it aside and go buy a motorcycle. I'm not hearing from God much on this, other than a wise nudge that it may not be the smartest thing to buy a motorcycle. Mm -hmm. That's something to listen to. And I'm wondering if you guys have anything to say. Well, it's it's never a wise time to buy a motorcycle. Sure. I, I emailed this. I emailed our friend here back, and I, I encouraged them on that. As a, a good friend of mine once put it to his son who wanted to get a motorcycle, he said, "All right, but just know this: it's not when, it's not if you wipe out, it's when." Right. right. So, just if if you're like those of us among some of us, this is me, can uh, hurt themselves just walking on flat ground, <laughs> and two wheeled vehicles may not be for you. You you just take that message from the spirit and we'll build on that but as far as the uh the rest of this question lee where would we start off okay uh, th- this is a cool question um and and i think it's really cool that you wrote it in and i, I love all the honesty there like the, this occurs to me and this occurs to me and this occurs to me and the the thing that that i would tell you is uh, first of all um you know, let, let's think about it because none of this stuff is inherently bad on its own. Now, in the church where I grew up, they they would say that any idea that wasn't the Jesusy thing would be inherently bad, and all all encouragement would be to do the thing that would you know that you would not be ashamed or guilty of if Jesus was standing in the room with you, that kind of a thing. And this was the environment that I grew up in. And so uh, the first thing we want to do is just in case you came from a place like that, none of this stuff is inherently bad. And and some of all of this may be good stuff. The thing that I would say is that, and, and the thing that really, that I keyed on in your question and the wording of the question was that all of this is stressing you out. And I think that's the thing that I would want to that I would want to start with is that we want to move away from stress. We we want to make this thing not a stressful moment in your life. And what I would encourage you to do is as you take this to the Lord and talk to him about it, to pray about um and pray toward um what would lead you to fullness and joy and enjoyment. Like what would be really really fun? 
Um, the thing that I can tell you is that our assumption is, well, if I get a big pile of money, the funnest thing I can do is spend it all on myself and the, whatever the thing is that I want. And that's our natural thought. And, and that makes a lot of sense. The thing that I've learned in my life is that, you know, spending uh, the money and getting something that I want doesn't always lead that way. And a surprising thing for me has been that when I've, you know, as I've gotten older and that, you know, my wife and I have prayed about and and we've had certain opportunities in front of our face and we've had certain money that the Lord has provided at different times in our lives where, um, where we've been able to partner with people that we love as they do other ministries. And we've been, you know, part of, you know, we've been part of the the thing that the Lord has used to kind of launch these people out into the ministry that he's called them into. And that's an exciting thing to be a part of that. It's been a fun thing and it's been an unbelievably rewarding thing. The thing that I found is there are certain ways to give that were not the way I was taught to give when I was a kid at church, where um, where giving to the Lord becomes a really, really fun thing, a thing that brings a lot of fullness, a thing that that makes you feel like I'm a part of something bigger than myself. I'm a part of something amazing. I'm a part of launching somebody that I love and that I care about out into doing the ministry that Jesus has called them into. And I would pray about it in that way, especially if the Lord is putting it on your heart to give, that let's let's pray about how can we move out of stress and into fullness and fun. It's something that would be something that would bring you joy instead of stress and i can tell you that there's that there's there's something about getting excited about a certain ministry and your part as a partner in that that is so fun and so exciting and such a sweet thing i can also tell you there've been so many times in my own ministry where somebody has come alongside me and said hey i want to give so that this thing can happen with the people that you're reaching out to and it has been the thing that has launched certain things out um, that made certain things happen, and it could not have happened without them. And so uh, all of us on this show are people who live because of the generous giving of no God's doubt. people. And yep. so it's a it, we can tell you when there are people who give to the Lord's work, especially uh, to, the, to the work that we're doing, I mean, you are our partners straight up. We, we are a partner. We are a team in doing this thing. Everything that we do is thanks to the people who give so that we can do this thing. And when you're that person who gives, that is a joyful and a sweet thing to be a part of. So as I would pray through this, if I were you, I would pray away from that stress and towards fullness and joy. Lord, show me how this money can be, a th- like especially in giving, that this can be a sweet and a full and an adventurous and a joyful thing. That's a really fantastic place to start this off. And Glenn, I'd love to go to you here because I think Lee is pointing us towards something important. And we talk about this a lot when we talk about approaching problems, this concept of left and right limits. So mm. as, as Lee points out, there's kind of a, you know, some of that's ingrained and some of it maybe uh, culturally reinforced that, you know, if I were to, and this is not the number of the person in the question, but let's just for the sake of argument say, you know, I, I inherited $20,000 from grandma. I'm going to buy a Rolex. I've always wanted a Rolex. I think uh, people would be uh, really happy. I would always know what time it is. That's very useful. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I could I could minister to the Rolex people. It'd right. be great. Uh, we we know that's not probably the way to go on that. Right. But this opposite, as I think as Lee's pointed to, this equal and opposite idea of I probably you know don't want to fix the the I probably don't want to buy a nicer car 
because mine just doesn't work. Because that would be like spitting on me, right? And that would be like weird, man. Yeah. Um, and you're you're old. I think one of your bosses when you first started had a great I had a great saying about what money can do, but also right. what it can't do, which right. I think is an important opposite side of this coin. But yeah, it, he would say that uh, you know uh, money can reduce suffering, but it it it's the the idea that it can buy you joy is is the problem, you know. Um, which uh, I think that's a good job is, yeah. is a very, is a point worth exploring. Cause there's that idea of, well, it, uh, it wouldn't make me happy if somebody spent any of it on me. I mean, it can, money can do things for you that yeah. you might need done and God might want you to do for, oh, for yourself. Sure. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if, if I'm sick and, and I can't afford a doctor and you give me money, yeah. that's going to massively reduce my suffering and I will massively appreciate it and enjoy it and, and experience it. And you may experience a vicarious joy off of providing that sure. money. Uh, but the idea that, uh, first of all, let me just say this. I'm Everything you wrote down in this question of things you, you were thinking about this money is exactly what I would be thinking. Sure. With the lone exception of I wouldn't be off of the motorcycle thing just because the Lord nixed it. Sure. sure. That would have to be a Lord plus wife. That, well, it would be, and it would be one of those, let's send it around again just in case. <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I, Maybe start with a Vespa. <laughs> that's Negotiate right. from there. We, we talked about this last week, but uh, things change. Sure. So, you know. So that's that. That's what that is. Uh, but I think it's about recognizing that, you know, people have this thing with money that they think it'll make them happy, mm-hmm. but it it doesn't. It can reduce suffering if you if you, um, you know, a, again, if you have a need that's not met and you have that money, it can really be a powerful positive thing. Part of what happens then is a people who have money make themselves miserable wanting something mm-hmm. and then they give themselves that thing and it reduces that misery i really really want this car this motorcycle this house whatever i've coveted i covet it i covet it i want it i need it i'm jealous for it i got to have it this guy has it i don't have it i'm miserable i'm sick i buy this thing for myself oh but i'm just getting back to zero i made myself yeah. miserable i just got i'm not happy yet uh, the happiness comes in uh, exactly as Lee was talking about. It comes in the giving part because you're reducing someone else's uh, suffering, the, the pain that they're going through, and you and you experience that vicariously. Uh, the, the Bible says the Lord loves a cheerful giver. The the Greek word uh, used in there is hilaros, and if that to you seems like it rhymes with hilarious, that's because that's where that word comes from. Mm-hmm. Just this idea of being almost deliriously happy and just uh, fully into this thing and fully excited about it and in- invested in it uh, is really the meaning of that Greek word. It's a very rich word. And I think it gives me uh, that sense of I want to I want to sell you on the idea of the excitement that can be involved in that. And, and here's the thing I loved uh, what you were saying was uh, you you said uh, you know want want to just uh, put it away for ten years and think about it. I don't know about ten years, but I love the idea of just not doing anything right away. I love sure. the idea of you know, because we get this thing of like money's supposed to make me happy. I got to hurry up and spend it. It might go bad or something. I got to get know? happy now. Yeah, you know <laughs> that that's not going to work, and it, it it won't give you what you want. 
I love the idea of taking time, letting it all, you know, become normal to you to, to have this money, to have this resource, and get into this idea of what could I do? What sort of impact could I have? There was a person, uh, that we, we won't mention his name because he asked for his name to not be mentioned, but there was a person who gave uh, money to this ministry, and it was enough to allow us to get a van. Now, mm. we use that van to pick up men and women and bring them to the bridge every week. Now, this is another thing that's going to uh, hurt some people's brains out there, uh, but let's just put it out there. There are more people who want to come to the bridge than we can physically get and take and have them be there in order to experience the service. Mm. service. That's not true for most ministries. The most ministries is everybody that wants to be there is there. Uh, these people often have transportation issues. They're in residential programs. If we have a van, we can go get them. If, if we have two vans, we can go get two you know, groups from two different places. If we make two trips, we can go to four places, which is normally what we do. But I watch that van pull up every single week, and those people who get out of that van would not be ministered to without that van. Mm -hmm. The impact of that, the smiles on their faces, the joy, the, 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 the turnaround that those people are experiencing, you could not measure that. And to have a chance to be a part of that is super exciting. Give yourself time to find that kind of thing mm -hmm, where mm -hmm, be be mm -hmm. jealous for it. I want this to be special. Yes. I want this to be amazing. Now, maybe that means I, I I get a Vespa and that that's a compromise and sure. uh, you know I, I work that out with the Lord. But uh, find that thing that's your heart passion that just makes you hilariously and deliriously happy. I think that's a, a really great point, excellent way to build on what Lee said. And before I throw it to Jed, I will. I will say again, we want to reiterate that one th one of the important points about this is you don't have to do one thing with this. Yep. Right. Um, you know, if you know, we don't want to go all uh, Dave Ramsey here, but uh, if you don't have enough money to cover a medical bill or something in your savings account, it's it's probably not unholy to think about doing that. Yeah. If that's a portion of this money, that's good. Yeah. That's you know, it's not. It, this is not a hard and fast rule, but you know, the whole tithing thing is give 10% of it away. That's, that's a pretty healthy percentage you get to keep. And maybe the Lord's not calling you to, to break down this kind of influx of cash in this way. But that's, that's another thing that really ties into what uh, I think Glenn and Lee are saying here is to not think of this as I just have to dump a lump sum into one place and get this off my hands. Mm. Part of the joy is I can do a little bit here and a little bit there and right. you know cover this one thing. And then I can, I can have some stuff or stuff I need. And Jed, what would you add to this discussion? Well, I think I think these fellows, you included, have already really gotten after it. I would reinforce one thing and then add one thing. So the reinforcement is, um, if you've been around church stuff before, you've probably heard of the concept of tithing. And tithing was basically taxation in ancient Israel in the Old Testament. So uh, you gave a tenth of whatever you made or whatever you grew, whatever you harvested, um, and that, again, was basically taxes. Uh, that, that went to fund um, the, the government and the, the priests. The priests literally ate that. Exactly. Right. The priests literally ate it, but, but a tenth. That's, that's what you owed. That was God's portion, and that had to be paid uh, first. Now, again, that's an Old Testament concept that does not— be, there, there, there isn't an equivalent of tithing in the New Testament because we don't live in a theocracy. So, uh, you know, it's not like that. But historically, Christians have looked at that as a good reference point. If you want to figure out a good starting point for giving, 10% uh, is a great way to, to look at that. You're not obligated to do it. 
you can do less, you can do more. Uh, That's really something for you to work out with the Lord. But if you're not sure, it's a good historical place to begin. You just want to feel, you know, I've got, you know, I want to have my, my, my bearings about me. It's a great place to begin. So let's say you do that. Let's, to take Matt's example, let's say, you know, you inherited 20 grand from grandma. So here's what we do. We say, all right, it's a good historical perspective. I'm going to take 10%. So that's $2,000. And now the fun begins. I have $2,000 to give away, but I want to find something I feel passionate about. I want to right. find something that I feel a sense of joy about. Yes. I mean, I've got the money. This is the Lord's money. It's going to get given, but we got to find the right thing. And, you know, we live in an age, unfortunately, where so much of fundraising that people are exposed to is just guilt trips. I mean, no offense to Sarah McLaughlin, who I like a lot as a singer-songwriter in the ASPCA, but like the the ads with the a abuse. A little much. I mean, dude, come on, This man. makes me not want to give you money. Are you the kind of person who doesn't care about abused dogs? Fine. Keep your money. That's... That's not it. Give That's now it. or Spot gets it. Exactly. I mean, you know, g- giving as a Christian should be the literal opposite of that. Giving as a Christian would be find something you're excited about. I mean, th- think about it this way. If you were going to propose to your girlfriend, you would budget a certain amount for the ring, whatever that is. Let's let's just call it $100, which good luck finding that ring. But let's just say for a second, you go out and you find what's the coolest, most beautiful, most exciting ring I can find for a hundred dollars. What's you don't just go in the first store and say, well, we have this ring sold. No, you, it's a journey. It's a quest. You go out, you find something that's got a story and a narrative. And I feel great about this and it catches the light just so that's awesome. That's what you want to do. Well, so it is here with giving to that end. I want to make a pitch to you. We have every week folks come to the bridge and they love the bridge. They love the music at the bridge and it helps them relax and let their guard down and engage. Now, we would love to be able to have some drums to help that music be more fun and a little bit more energetic. We'd like to get something called conga drums because they're easy to play and we can kind of train up some of our guys to be able to play them. Probably costs about $300. We're a small organization. We don't have $300 just lying around. So we would love for somebody to give us $300 so we can buy conga drums. But now here's the key thing. If that doesn't excite you, then don't give us that money. Right. If you say, no, the idea of guys are coming out of gangs and they just want to worship the Lord and they're getting down and then there's a beat and it's even more exciting. If you're like, oh no, that's my jam. Well, then send us an email. Let's talk. Let's figure it out. We say, no, I, you know, that's cool and all, but that's not quite my thing. Don't give us that money then. We want you specifically. That's a need that we have, but there's infinite number of needs out there in the world. Find the one that does excite you and give towards that. Absolutely right. And I I will, I will point out this is, and Glenn already kind of mentioned this and just, I bring it in as well. I can tell you a little bit about this organization's, the way we look at fundraising is if we, figure out what the Lord wants us to do on something, the money's going to come from somewhere. Yep. Right. So again, that's not a guilt thing. If, the, if, the, if God wants us to have congas at the bridge, and why wouldn't he? God loves rhythm. That's right. Um, that's going to happen. It's the same way with the van. We, we, right. the, the person, the anonymous donor who gave us the money for the van, made a huge impact in this ministry. It was a huge thing. Huge. But that van was clearly something God wanted to happen. Right. This is not, again, this is not, the uh, this is not buy this magazine or we or we shoot this dog. This right, is not right, like that's right. you know. And again, as as Jeff pointed, there's a lot of fundraising. Like you know, a lot of people and a lot. Of, we'd love to go to uh, Nicaragua and do the the medicine trip, but maybe all those people just go to hell. Who knows? It's really up to you. That's not what we're saying. It's going to happen. So right. this goes back to what Lee was saying. So when we approach fundraising, we say this: we're going to get this money. 
Right. The, 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 uh, our, we, we picture God as very much a Chicago God. Right. And this money's going to happen one way or the other. Yeah. Um, if, as Jed is saying, if it would benefit you and your, uh, your relationship with the Lord and you would be excited by giving us this money, that's win-win for everybody. It's great. Right. If you'd like to give us money for something else, if congregants aren't your thing or if Ann isn't your thing or you'd want to give to you know, people going uh, digging wells in Africa or people going to reach uh, young after-school programs, that's great. Because we're going to get the money if God right. wants the thing to happen. So, And that's the way you should think of that, too. If this is not a, oh, gosh, if I, if I don't pick the exact right thing to do this, there's going to be you know, an undue amount of suffering in the world that I will have picked wrong. That's not the way yeah. that, that God works. It's not the way fundraising for ministry works. God, God is going to do his thing, and this is, is to use the term leader, which is a great one, um, this is an offer to partner in some cool stuff. We don't want you to feel pressure about giving. God doesn't want you to feel pressure giving. We want this to be a good thing for you. All right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. We're going to tell you the song this week. This is from uh, our February. No, this is, yes, it's still from our February Bridge Box. This is Lee's song called Not Settling. Great track. We're going to take out hey. that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Outro bot engaged. Say that podcast. Extremely funny. Outgoing comment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not settling, not settling, not